On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses The Mandalorian Season 1. Welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands, album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this Star Wars edition of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Tom Corcoran, Ken Gregory, and Paul Zotter as we talk about Season 1 of The Mandalorian. Gentlemen, here we are doing a little moonlighting, talking a little Star Wars. Very, yes. very excited mm-hmm. about that. How many Star Wars episodes do we have? We only have two. We have um, Last Jedi and then uh, Episode Nine. No, and we've then- got an Episode Nine preview. We have a Episode Nine preview. Yeah, yeah. we did. We did an Episode Nine preview. Oh, okay. We gave you right. we gave you a chance to complain before you even saw the damn movie. <laughs> oh shit! I missed that. I have to go back and listen to that. We uh, we have the extended outtake of the movies with Kersner at the end of his episode, and we have ranking the movies. Oh shit! I there you go. That. Yeah, it's like it's like a whole separate uh, selection. I mean, they have their they've been given their own designation now. It's Star Wars palaver. Amazing. We are here. What are you laughing about, man? Ken looks so stoic. Like he, like he just forced himself to watch eight episodes of a show in like three days. <laughs> <laughs> so a little over right out of the gate, let's talk the, the, the terminology that we're going to use. We're talking about TV shows. The standard terminology is episodes. However, these are all labeled as chapters. Are we going to refer to them as chapters? Or episodes, gentlemen. Chapters. Chapters. Okay. Yes, chapters. Oh, we will, gosh, all these rules. We all will right. respect the art and call them chapters. All right. So, in this episode, since, uh, you know, Ken and I are kind of late to the party, although I finished up, what, several weeks ago at this point, um, we are only going to cover season one, which includes chapters one through eight. And, um, yeah, so the idea is we will have spoilers on for season one. So if you have not seen The Mandalorian at all and do not want to be spoiled, stop listening until you watch it. But we are going to do our best, the three of us who have seen all 16 chapters, to not spoil season two. Season two. Wow. So be on your toes. And, you know, we can't, uh, we can't talk about all of the, the, uh, the Easter eggs and good stuff that goes on in season two, but I think honestly, there's enough in season one that we can probably manage that. And, um, yeah, I mean, I guess we can start off maybe with the, uh, with the little wiki description. Cause we do have that. All right. We have that. We have that. The Mandalorian is an American space western television series created by Jon Favreau for the streaming service Disney+. Plus. 
It is the first live-action series in the Star Wars franchise beginning five years after the events of Return of the Jedi. It stars Pedro Pascal as the title character, a lone bounty hunter who goes on the run after being hired to retrieve the child. Star Wars creator George Lucas began development on a live-action uh, live Star Wars television series by 2009, but the project was deemed too expensive to produce. After he sold Lucasfilm to Disney in October 2012, work on a new Star Wars series began for Disney+. Favreau signed on in March 2018, serving as writer and showrunner. He executive produces alongside Dave Filoni, Kathleen Kennedy, and Colin Wilson. The series title was announced in October 2018, with the start of filming at Manhattan Beach Studios in California. Visual effects company Industrial Light and Magic developed the stagecraft technology for the series using virtual sets and a 360-degree video wall to create the series' environments. This, this has since been adopted by other film and television productions. The Mandalorian pre premiered with the launch of Disney Plus on November 12, 2019. The eight-episode first season was met with positive reviews, was nominated for Outstanding Drama Series at the 72nd Primetime Emmy Awards, and won seven Primetime Creative Arts Emmy Awards. A second season premiered on October 30, 2020, and a third season is in pre-production. Three spin-off series announced in December 2020 will expand the series' timeline. And I'm not even going to read those because we don't want to go into too many spoilers at this point. Right. Yeah, Disney+. Plus. You know, I, I, I went kicking and screaming into this. I actually saw the first six chapters... Uh, probably not long after they premiered, a friend of mine, I, I was unwilling at the time to pay for all these different streaming services. I have since then um, signed up for more than I really need to. But at the time, I was unwilling to. And a friend of mine had Disney Plus, and she went away somewhere, and I was house-sitting her cats. So <laughs> I would go over to her apartment, feed her cats, and sit down and watch an episode. And, and so I managed to get through six before she came home, and the plan was to, you know, watch the other two, because it was only season one at that point. And I got kind of roped in, and I was really excited, and then she canceled her subscription before she went away again. And so <laughs> I was like, ah! Ugh. And and so I didn't, I didn't have access to it. Um, you don't have Disney children of the four offspring that you've created. None of them are Disney children. They're all Disney children. Um, but my, my children are at of an age now where they don't watch a whole lot of television and anything we did watch, we would find on Netflix. They, we love star Wars as a general rule, but we have everything except for mm -hmm. the Mandalorian, you know, on actual mm -hmm. media. So yeah. we didn't have to. And my ex-wife actually has the Disney Plus streaming service. So the kids had been watching it at her house this entire time. So they were <laughs> they had seen the whole thing and and I wouldn't let them talk about it and it was a whole big thing. But in the in the holiday season this year, uh, I had, you know, a week by myself, so I I bit the bullet, I signed up, um, and managed to watch the whole the whole thing. So I got to finish up season one and i did watch season two and you know it was it was worth all the hype i gotta say you know it i made the joke before we got on air to tom that it's fun to have you know good star wars to talk about 
and you know that's that's you know purposefully provocative but but Tom you had made the comment a while back I I think about you know I think we were talking about the the sequel movies and how they just don't sit very well with you and I thought you were being a little harsh until I finished watching The Mandalorian and it occurred to me that while I'm not saying this story should have been the sequel movies, I think it's it's fun sort of the hole it sits in, and I have no problem with setting the next, you know, the end of the, the Skywalker saga, if you will, far into the future. I think the storytelling and the, the filming of this is so much better. It, it's, you know, it, it's, I just, I think it's it's so well done that it, I haven't gone back and watched any of the sequel movies since I've watched this, but my fear is that they're not going to hold up as well. And and that's that's what I was thinking, you know, when you had had made some of your comments, but hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, I I did try to go back. I was so jazzed <clears throat> when I finished um season 2. Uh I went back and and tried to watch episode 9. I'm um, um uh the the ninth movie <clears throat> skywalker and um i i couldn't get through it i mean i i'm, I'm sort of cynical as it is as is but uh i got about 45 minutes into it and i just nearly just went to chop my head off i i i, I, I couldn't i couldn't <laughs> <sighs> i don't i don't want to spend time talking like negative stuff about something sure, we already yeah, talked yeah, about yeah. but i i'll just say that um there were a lot of things that that didn't hold up, <clears throat> and I will say that I, one of the things that I love about Mandalorian is that it takes the time that it, it, it needs. And in a movie, you know, two two and a half hours, whatever it is, they seem like they get, the movies get longer and longer as they go. But like they they try to fit all the stuff in the movie, and the cuts are so quick, and you're you don't know how they got here and where they got here and why they're going here. And you're just like, uh, you know, there's a couple set pieces that are nice set, set scenes that sort of, you're like, okay, the John, John Williams music comes in and you're sort of in there, but it's, it's all just sort of, you know, thrown in like a, you know, like a soup that you would get at Denny's or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and you just, and oh it doesn't take time. There's no pacing. And, you know, it's nice to have those smaller moments with with these characters and really be in that space, really be in that that world that they're in. And I really felt like um, I, I was there, and <clears throat> I felt like I was participating in it in a sort of a strange way. And that's really what making movies is all about. And here we're doing an ep episodic, but you're you're able to just take time and. And 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 work on the night and work on nice subtleties that sort of keep you going. And I think one of the other things I really liked about Mandalorian is <clears throat> I also love westerns. And you know, if you if you would if you would ask me what are your favorite types of things to watch, I would say science fiction and westerns. So uh, here we go. There you go. <clears throat> it's a science fiction <laughs> western. So I mean, um, and <clears throat> you know, you have. Uh, things that are familiar to you, like in a Western, but they're they're told in a, a new, fresh way. 
in a in a in a Star Wars way, and uh, I, I found that wonderful. But so, I mean, yeah, I I think that um, this was really well done, and I, I was I was excited to to see it. It brought I, I was I really liked how when when we watch all these movies. There's like four or five people who sort of like save the universe and the same thing sort of, you know, happens. I mean, it's, it's great to watch, but it's nice to sort of open things up a little bit. And I think Rogue One did that significantly that it, it wasn't just the, you know, the Skywalker family um, and the, the group of, you know, uh, a group of people around the Skywalker family that were sort of saving the, the, the universe. There were a lot of other people. And um, it, it really to to see um, similarly to to Rogue One, it, it, it was nice to see the sort of outcast, the sort the sort of world expand a bit, and uh, and to not only expand a bit but really learn about the universe and why certain things came to be and and whatnot. And so I just I felt like I didn't feel I just felt. Like I was really watching, and, and actually going back to my original comment, Joe, I feel that way about the original Star Wars. And the original Star Wars was released in a time where you didn't have all the quick cuts and the the craziness that 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 go on now. You know, people actually, yeah, it was it was a different experience. So when you watch the original Star Wars. Um, you do get some of that, and a lot of it is on the desert. It's a little bit, you know, westerny with, you know, the stuff with uh, Luke Skywalker and things like that um, that we we visit with the with the Mandalorian. But um, the pace of certainly, you know, the first two movies are more along the lines of, you know, my my kind of pace. I guess being more old fashioned, if you will. So I, I, that's why I, I really liked it, and it's nice. The old school, you know, not having all the, the CGI characters, and you know, I mean, you still have the special effects, but it's just not about the special effects, and it's just it's about character. And I think any any good storytelling is about character. And I think so. That's why I was I was pretty excited about it. I was saying this is the perfect topic for middle aged prog rock guys to talk about. <laughs> it's like you could you could edit out, you know. The words Mandalorian and Star Wars and put in like Hogarth era Marillion and it would almost sound exactly the same. <laughs> well, I, I mean, yeah, you know, it, people ask me, you know, what's your podcast about? And I go, progressive rock, mostly. But, you know, there, there's, there's almost like, there's almost an obligation for a bunch of middle-aged, you know, dudes to be talking about Star Wars. Because, and, and I think, you know, my perception, Tom, that, that sort of sums up a, a lot of what you're saying, and, and, and I felt the same way about Rogue One, is they're Star Wars stories that grew up with us, right? They're, they're you know, the, I think the sequels and the prequels to a lot of, of degree are still targeted, I think, at you know, a younger audience than, than maybe we are. And, you know, that's, that's my perception. Another thing that I think is really important that comes out from this. And, and I 
yesterday and today I rewatched chapters seven and eight, so they're they're pretty fresh in my mind. And and I think what really drives a lot of this and why it lands so true is I think John Favreau is a true fan. I think he grew up with these and he views them through the same lens I think that that we do. Um, I'm assuming that John Favreau is, you know, our our vintage. And, and the reason I say that is um, when I was when I was, you know, young, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever. He was born in '66, John. Okay, yeah, yeah. So he he he, you know, he would have he would have been doing yeah. all the same things. I was obsessed with Star Wars action figures. I mean, mm-hmm. to the point that I still have most of the ones that I played with when I was a kid. Mm. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Um, and, Tom and, produced a Boba Fett for our, our benefit. And, and in fact, Aiden, my son, wow. just found uh, in in my ex-wife's house. Oh, we got a little got a little baby Yoda. Yep. We got another baby Yoda. I don't. I do not have. <laughs> Come on, Joe. Here. Well, I've, I've, I've got in my other room. Um, I, I do actually have. I've I've got a in packaged special edition Boba Fett action figure that has never been removed oh. from the box. Oh, but um, I was obsessed with these things. I mean, I had my parents going all over trying to find you know this special one, and I remember the Sears catalog had like sets yes. with special ones that you could only get in there and i would lust after them groups of three did you have the uh the blue snaggletooth the, uh, the blue snaggletooth with the long legs right yeah i had it oh see you're cool from the sears catalog yeah i did not mm. <laughs> <laughs> but what i did have and it was i i did have one vehicle early on in the process and it was a vehicle that I never recalled seeing in the actual movie Star Wars. It may have shown up in the background, so I don't know. But I never recalled seeing it in the movie. But it was the greatest vehicle ever. And it was a Stormtrooper car- carrier. Hmm. And it was... Oh, I remember that. It was about yay long. It was like, you know, the Imperial Grey. It had these two wicked sort of curved doors in the front. Two guys could sit there. It had little pockets on the side probably three or four on a side that you could stick stormtroopers in. And if that wasn't enough, it had a little trap door on the back and you could shove like, you know, people or other things in there. It was, it was ugly as sin, but from, from the perspective of an eight year old boy playing with his action figures, it was phenomenal. I remember that to this day and it pains me. It's like one of the things that I don't still have. I have no idea what happened to it. And I believe it's in episode seven when that damn thing drives up into the middle of that town. Oh, yeah. And all the stormtroopers come out. I lost my shit. I'm like, uh. that's the troop carrier. <laughs> and, uh. and, and so when I saw that, I'm like, I bet you John Favreau had that toy when wow. he was a kid. And he's like, we got to put this in here. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> well, that's that's the thing. Like. I connect with that because, like, I thought the bringing in of IG-11 as, you know, the assassin droid 
was spectacular because same thing, like IG-88 was in Empire Strikes Back as one of the uh, bounty hunters. Yep. Right. Standing there next to, to you know, Bosk and Boba Fett and, and waiting for the orders. And he just stood there. He didn't move. He was just a prop. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you and you bought the action figure. I bought the action figure because I was trying to buy every every action figure that there ever was. And it didn't do anything. And you're just like you just couldn't even fathom. Like, how could this like robotish type of thing be a bounty hunter? Like, what could it possibly accomplish? And then you get to see the IG droid in action, and it's freaking epic. It and, is, and epic. he had he had some great comic relief as well. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And I was I was going to talk about IG Eleven along those very same lines. The toys were quite a big deal to me in the Sears era. I was probably seven or eight years old. And they came in very specific trios. I remember, was it Luke and the two droids were in a group? Is that uh, is that why you like threes, Ken? Yes, yes. <laughs> it all yes. goes back to the Star Wars action but figures. Luke, <laughs> Luke, Lucas <laughs> likes threes first. Um, you, you know what really um, I think, you know, bears repeating here as we dig in to Mandalorian. Um, and Tom, you, you made mention of Rogue One. And the beauty of Rogue One is it ties together a little gap. So, you know, episodes one through three, that's the life of Anakin becoming Vader. Episodes four through six, that's the Luke era. And Rogue One fills in that little gap there with something cool. Now, what we find with Mandalorian, that's coming after episode six. So uh, what, what really helped me just to really sink in to the Mandalorian was just to remind myself of what happened at the end of episode six, otherwise known as Return of the Jedi or Revenge of the Jedi. Uh, Luke wins a lightsaber battle with Vader. The Emperor wants Luke to, to, to do him in, to finish off Vader, and he refuses. Uh, and uh, this is this whole deal with uh, Leia reveals to Han that Luke is her brother, and then they kiss, and, you know, there might be a little baby thing happening after that and pops up in other movies. Uh Luke cremates his father's body. That that's pretty wacky. And Luke sees those really uh, funky spirits of Yoda, Obi Wan, and Anakin kind of hanging over him. And this sets the stage for Mandalorian. And that's kind of exciting because it does seem like there is a gap, lots of room there. One of the things that happened when Disney bought Star Wars. You know, and it's it's quite controversial. Was this whole resetting of the canon and all of the yeah. the, the books and and tie-ins that had been part of the canon were wiped away, and the only thing that you had then were the the six movies and whatever Disney was going to do going forward. So for me, um, you know, 
there were Timothy Zahn wrote, I believe it was five Star Wars stories post Return of the Jedi, three involving Grand Admiral Thrawn, and I think there were two involving um, Luke in various ways, if I recall correctly. I don't really recall the other two very that clearly, but I remember there was there was three and there was two. And I loved those for that very reason, Ken, that they filled in, you know, the, the that gap a little bit. And they talked about, you know, what happens after. Because it's not like it, – it's not like the the reworked Return of the Jedi ending where there's lots of fireworks and everyone's peaceful and happy and, and boom, like <laughs> good, right? There, there's other stuff going on. And, um, you know, they, they – they took all that out of the canon, and now they're they're going back in, and they're they're being able to fill that in a little bit. And the fact that you know they're they're sort of working on the fringes of of you know the the galactic society or whatever, I think adds a little bit to it. it, it and and again, it, it's it's all part of that whole Western theme. You know, it's it's the frontier. It's it's rough. It's rugged, but it's still it's still very much in in the 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 universe if you will the the story world that that was created it's very consistent with that but it is a more you know gritty earthy kind of look about it and you know it has you know tom you were talking about it you know the one of the things that you love about you know westerns is there's there's so much relative space if you will you know you've got large spaces and a small number of people and and you that allows certain interactions and i think that's exactly what we're getting here so i think it's i think it's brilliant no word dystopian comes to mind i don't see a lot of beaches or public parks or you know any signs of a civilized fully functioning society the 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 the, the frontier as you're suggesting it is, is also a little scary. It, it has that big, wide, open sense of possibility. But if that was all you had in your world, it would be really sad. There, there is that wonderful sense of, you know, you said the gap, Ken, between Re Return of the Jedi, right? The thing at the Return of the Jedi was, especially when we got to, to do the special edition versions, you know, we saw people celebrating all over the galaxy like they were free. They were they were free from being under the boot of the Empire and all was going to be great and wonderful. And and now in that great and wonderful world where everybody is free, there is no order. Right. You've got these big planets out in the middle of nowhere and the Empire doesn't rule them anymore. So it's. It's it is the Wild West and 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 it is dystopian to to that degree and and it it's it's a huge part of the charm of this like Western style you know there's no rules there's no it's you know the the you know Mando's sitting in a bar with Apollo Creed getting his next gig you know and you know <laughs> oh, that it's it's uh, it's just it's just a very cool vibe and you know this badass in the Mandalorian costume is um it's just just the alpha like even the very first scene you know when it's on that cold remote thing and you know the door opens 
and he walks in, you know, and you hear the spurs and everything like that. Like, that's just so fucking cool. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's funny, Paul, because you mentioned there are no rules. And that's not entirely true because these Mandalorians have a creed. A lot of rules involved in the Mandalorian creed. Now, I have it's a to, code. I, I have it's a to, code. I have to fess up because, um, you know, and, and, and again, I think we need to, you know, state the, the painfully obvious here in that Dave Filoni. So Dave Filoni. Dave Filoni. Dave, Dave Filoni was, what, the executive producer or whatever of Star Wars, The Clone Wars, and Star Wars Rebels. So, yeah. So Dave Filoni is probably, you know, the person who understands most about, you know, the, the current canon lore, if you will. All the interstitial spots that aren't in in the movies and uh, can i just say he's eight years younger than favreau and he's yeah. from pennsylvania is he nice indeed which part of pennsylvania do we know mount lebanon okay ah so so he you know a lot of this is built off of the the mythology if that's the right word that was created in those two shows and there's you know we talked about that there's a lot going on the whole Darth Maul thing and you know all of that and and so he's he's building off of that and he's borrowing from it but he borrows from it I think in ways that it it, it works on its own um, without necessarily knowing all of the other parts but but what I was going to say is I am not up to speed on Mandalorian lore I, I tried to to brush up this afternoon, and, and there's just there's a lot there, and it it doesn't always seem consistent, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But for the purposes of this discussion right now, again, I I, I was struck with, you know, in the early episodes of this, you know, th this this establishing of this code of the Mandalorian. And and what it means, and it's very strict. And you know, it's there's oh, there's always people sort of trying to push that boundary on on this code. And I think you know, I, I only want to mention that here because I think season one establishes the code, and then when we get into season two, on the next episode when we talk about this, we're going to find that you know there are. There, there can be different interpretations of that code, which I think is 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 very fascinating. But it, it is to to me at the first time I watched this, you know, in in just these first eight chapters, it is interesting the way they sort of build that up one piece at a time, and and create this sort of structure for the code, yeah. if you will. And and, and there is I, like I don't want to give anything away, but they do it so well that there's there's a very like clear obvious scene in season two where that code is apparently violated and when it happens you literally i literally had a physical reaction to it like right. i was like what what what's happening what are they doing like like it, so so it's it's really well done in season two as they as they go through to to establish that and and 
and the way that Mando adheres to it throughout the whole um, a whole thing. But but I think in terms of season one, right? That that code is. I think you're absolutely right, Paul. It's the only thing that has any sort of structure, at yeah. least in the beginning, and and it it sort of provides you and the character this anchor point, which I think is is important. Because otherwise, you'd just be like, well, what the hell? You know, it's a free-for-all. Yeah. Uh, now, real, real, real quick, I just want to touch on this. I think I've talked about it before in one of our other Star Wars episodes. But there was, in the, in the Legends, there was an entire series that focused on, like, the Mandalorian culture and... And how the how some of the Mandalorian culture was like usurped by by the cloners when they made the 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 clone army, and and how some of the people that trained the elite Republic commandos were actually from Mandalore, and that was it was a Republic commando series, and there's like five books, and it was written by Karen Travis. I think it's a video game too. It it was exceptional. I mean, it was my favorite Star Wars books and I just tour right through them and absolutely love them and it goes all the way to the the last book of the series. Well, actually the last book of the series is five is the 501st where they go through order 66. They're supposed to convert over to the empire and they basically say, like this is bullshit. We're not doing this. And they go rogue. And one of them gets left behind and has to be in the 501st um, army. And the rest ship off to Mandalore and and it like engrosses them. And then right when that happened, and like that book ended, they they cut this series out. Karen Travis was basically told, stop writing. <laughs> Can and you imagine? And because she was just getting paid by the book, like she would just like crank these books out and they'd like send her a check and that was it. Right. Um, and but it, but it was like so frustrating because it was so good and you were just getting into the Mandalorian culture and you're like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And then you found out that the book was discontinued and you didn't know what was going on and something was happening. And a couple years later, they sell it to Disney and they wipe out the whole the whole canon. So I guess. It's good that it stopped when it did because now the Mandalorian culture is something completely different than what it yeah. was. I wanted to call attention to the words creed and religion because they're both used in different chapters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, 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 Joe, you seem to gravitate towards the word code. I mean, it's, it's the same sort of thing. And I think the, I think one of the characters even says it in chapter seven, Mandalore is not a race. It's a, what right. do they call it? A creed? Yeah. Creed. Yeah. Yep. The, the, man, the, the Mandalorians are like the Masons where the Jedi are like the Illuminati. <laughs> well, <laughs> Jesuit priests. <laughs> the, uh, well, I mean, uh, there are a couple of things I wanted to, to say too, and I don't want to get too far away. So Ken, you, you said something about, uh, Luke Skywalker burning Darth Vader, uh, cremating him. And I forget what you said. You said it was a little weird. That, I, I, I just wanted to point out, that was very symbolic because that is, the, that is, that is like the a ritualistic way that 
a Jedi is, it remains are, you know, disposed of, right? Mm-hmm. They're burned mm-hmm. in episode one. So I thought, I thought it was very, um, it was, it was very important that that happened because it basically showed that, you know, Darth Vader had been, um, vindicated or not vindicated. What's the right word? Um, reconciled and and was being put to rest as a jedi and then he shows up you know in the little in the little phantom scene like you said mm-hmm. depending mm-hmm. on which version of the movie you're watching he <laughs> goes up as an old dude or as um young dude um and then and then tom you mentioned the west western and sci-fi have you ever watched a series called revolution i have not no you you really need to look it up and check it out i'm not sure where it's on or what's available but it is it's basically about modern day and like one day like we all lose power like we there's batteries don't work electricity doesn't work nothing works anymore so we're like returned to complete chaos without any power and it sort of picks up after that's already happened and interestingly uh uh Giancarlo Esposito is in that that show as well and he plays a very similar character where he's sort of like the pro sort of the protagonist guy um so it's called revolution check check it out it's um the the first season's definitely definitely worth it i Sorry. i want to see it just so when it comes on i can go revolution <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a great there is one great scene though where they're like they get they get to it they they get to a town and there's no power but they they're in like a pub and there's like torches playing everywhere and there's a dude playing an acoustic guitar and he's doing an acoustic version of Tom Sawyer which is pretty cool. Nice. I mean, you guys were talking a little bit about you know the code Mandalorian code in that it's it's a little bit different but sort of the the bounty hunter code if you will. What I found very interesting that when it was really well done and sort of kicks off the whole season is when the Mandalorian gets Grogu. And oh, 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 spoiler. No spoilers. No, no, do they really say that in season two, though? Yeah, it doesn't happen to season two. Until season two. No spoilers. Uh, The child. It's Baby Yoda baby, tonight. It's Baby Yoda. <laughs> it's not Baby Yoda, though. It's like, that's like sacrilege. Okay, that, we can call him the child. The child is good. Everyone knows. The child. I think I actually, I think I actually posted that one day on Facebook. I actually, I actually posted something that said, hey, just, just to be yeah. sure, everyone knows that's not really Baby Yoda, right? Uh, uh. Well, I'm the only season two virgin here, and, and even I knew about the Grogu thing. So, so, Tom, you're in the right. Just keep going. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I'll, call, I'll call him the child, I guess, regardless. So anyway, he goes, he gets the child. Um, he has an attachment to the child, which is interesting because, I mean, we have to, at some point, we, we need to talk about all this is going on when he has a big helmet over his head. So it's, he's, we're conveying emotion here with, um, with different techniques um, that aren't aren't used because you know you, you can't with when you have a, this, this huge cumbersome helmet on your head. 
and uh, and so he becomes attached, <laughs> and he's got so, this like, all- intercom, so everything sounds like a price check on aisle thirteen, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> so, all right, so it's not just the attachment, but also he knows that there's something not right. And he knows that there's something going on that should be going on um, with the, you know, the post, you know, empire that, that hired him. He doesn't exactly know what's going on, but he, he, he brings the child back, figures out that there's some sort of experimentation going on and that there's just bad things in store for the child. And also um, he doesn't like these people because of what they did to his to his people, the the Mandalorians. So he actually leaves without the child. Now, in another setting, we would actually have him take get the child and sort of just take off, and then everyone would like you know chase him. But I think the, really what was beautifully done with this, and I talked about pacing earlier. And there's sort of like peaks and valleys that, that sort of puts you on the edge of your seat. He brings a child back to the place where they, you know, first met. They were doing the experimentation and all that. Um, he leaves. Okay. And then he sort of has his moment where he's like, wow, you know, this isn't right. I have to go back and get him. And that is him going back in there and getting the child and that sort of metamorphosis that sort of um, that coming to that place where he knows he has to get the child back and then going back in there with all those people and all the, the guns and, you know, the bad stuff that that's ahead of them um, that, that really ups the stakes here because um, at that at that point, you know, we have been introduced to a lot, but the decision making there hasn't been a lot of decision making. That decision that he made to go back in reverse course after he's already gotten paid. Okay, he's already gotten paid. He's got the goods, and he he just he makes that decision that sort of bold decision really sets the the pace for loving the character. And I'm going to go back to sort of, you know, archetypes of, you know, uh, characters, but, you know, certainly in Westerns, there is the, you know, the, the mysterious gunslingers who, you know, in like Magnificent Seven where the gunslinger comes to the town and the people need his help. And then he gets a group of his friends together to help the town and all that. And so these are things that we love to see, right? Like the Magnus, the Magnificent Seven. Um, and so we're, we're seeing it in a, a different light. We're seeing it in that Star Wars place. But going back in there, that moment in the beginning of the season still, I mean, it might have been, you know, chapter two or whatever, chapter three even. But it's still in the beginning of the, the season. Going back in there and getting the child and really getting that uh, bond with the child, it really sets up for the, the beauty, I think, of, of the series. And it, it sets up for 
um, the decision making that you know good character is all about. So I think that you guys were talking about um, the the Mandalorian stuff. I, I, that that's more of a bounty hunter decision. That when he, when he went back there, it was a faux pas for a bounty hunter to go back and and take it what it was you were originally hired to take yourself um and and so i mean that was that was uh, a big a big thing in the beginning of it so uh, i think that that really was one of the the moments that that set up the whole the whole the whole thing for me and i think it was meant to, to be honest i mean that, that that's that's a it's a it's a big it's a big point of the of the thing but um that that was a wonderful scene I just wanted to make a joke for Ken. So I, I totally like that was a, a huge turning point in like the character development time. So like I'm I'm 100% with you. One of the things that what I wanted to say was I really enjoyed along the sides of like Easter eggs and like toys um, in the Empire Strikes Back. Darth Vader looks right at Boba Fett and says, I want them alive. He says, no disintegrations. And I think during that part of that scene, but then later with the Jawas, we get to see, we get to see some disintegrations happen. <laughs> um, we sure do. And I, and I, I just, when that was happening, I was just kind of like, Ooh, that's, that's neat. Well, that's perfect. Paul gave me a great segue there on the text. I responded after watching that episode that, all lives can't matter until the Jawa lives matter. <laughs> and I, I, I was just, I was torn. You know, the cute little Jawas of my childhood were, were, were being disintegrated before my eyes. So, so there, is a, there, there is a degree of violence here that wasn't necessarily present in A New Hope. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that goes without question. And, and I remember... The first time I watched this, I was I was a sort of struck by like, well, why are there Jawas here? Are Jawas everywhere? And <laughs> and and then you know, like you said, the 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 violence that shows up throughout the show, it's it's not quite, I think, on the scale of Rogue One, but it's, I mean, yeah, it's you know, it, it's certainly much mm -hmm. more present than you know the 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 main sequence movies where it's everything is pretty much scrubbed out as it were. And I mean, you know, one of the interesting things th there's, there's, there are a couple different things here. One Tom, I want to go back to a point that you had made with regard to the conveyance of emotion through that helmet. And, and it's amazing how well, you know, they're able to do that. And I don't know how much of that is the actor, how much of it is the director, um, if it's a combination of the both, but but you really do, and it, you end up connecting with this character that you you can't see. I mean, he's literally in armor, but but yet through his mannerisms um, and 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 the intercom voice, you manage to end up connect. I mean, it's extraordinarily well done in that regard. And and the other thing is one of one of the greatest scenes to me is the opening of chapter seven, where you have the two speeder bike guys and they've got, they've got the child in the bag 
And the one guy yeah. wants to see him, and the other guy doesn't want to let him see him. And and Gideon's going crazy, and he's like, "I got the message. Did you get the message?" You know. And and they're both so expressive. And one of the things in that 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 really struck me as in all of the Star Wars movies, with the exception of Finn in the sequel movies, stormtroopers are always just one step above robots. They're not people in the sense that you don't become invested in them so when they get blasted away it's not a big deal but in this in this show they present you know this this human aspect there are people inside all of these 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 armor getups and and that's that's a striking departure and like i said the fact that you've got two you know imperial <laughs> Um, you know, scout troopers who are providing this sort of comic relief while still at the same time completely self-owning, you know, the, 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 the evil and the violence of, of Moff Gideon. It's, Mm. I think it's really adult storytelling. Right. Well, you're uh, so, so Paul Joe was talking about the humanity of stormtroopers. It didn't necessarily exist in, right. You know, in, in, in the original episodes, um, it, I, I think there are degrees of stormtroopers, though, because you clearly have some of the slouchy guys who are wearing the armor, right? But but then you have the actual infantry for Gideon. So the the hierarchy is gone, and and, and you don't know what hierarchy exists until he kind of shows up with his Tie Fighter. But but you know you have various enclaves of of stormtroopers and various degrees of professionalism. You mentioned the Tie Fighter. I, I've got to I've got to talk about this because <laughs> in the sequel movies, I raised a big freaking stink about starfighters zipping around in the atmosphere. But I got to say, the way that they handled. Gideon's TIE fighter coming in and the little wing folding and the little, you know, legs popping out. Freaking badass. I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, I'm good. Why weren't they all like this, you know? I, I laughed watching the last time I watched uh, Rise of Skywalker because Kylo Ren's spaceship was like, billowing smoke out and into this into space when it was flying <laughs> oh yeah the knights of Ren's like, little little uh, like exhaust the, the you know mobile yeah I yeah love that. that's so funny yeah i can i don't know if you talked about ki- indiscriminately killing jawas yeah um, we did yeah because they're they're like thugs they're criminals they're worse than sand people. Like sand people are yeah. elevated and Jawas are demoted. I'm, I'm, I'm I don't, <laughs> I didn't Jawas, expect this. That's what C3PO said in the first one. He's like, I can't abide by those Jawas, disgusting creatures. <laughs> I mean, they're basically, they are, they're basically like the underbelly criminal network of, you know, stripping cars and selling them for parts. And right. And, and we uh, get to see what makes them happy. And that's, you know, uh, smashing an egg and eating the yolk. Yeah. And it wasn't even all the Jawas. It was just like they have a hierarchy. They had like the 10 Jawas who were allowed to eat the yolk. 
So there is a kind of a fun little gimmick that's kind of goes throughout many of the episodes, which is all, always something being wrong with with um, uh, the man, Mando ship. The Razor Crest. Razor Crest, thank you. So, and, and that's a fun little throwback to the original um, trilogy because there's always something wrong with uh, Han Solo's uh, Millennium Falcon, right? The Jawa episode is the first time that we see, and, and this bugs me in just about every series I've ever watched from like, from Boardwalk Empire to The Sopranos to Ozark to Mandalorian, right? This, this situation where we can't advance the plot because we're going to give a challenge to our protagonist that they must mm-hmm. solve mm-hmm. in order to move the plot forward. And this is often made a little bit more fancy by special guest stars, you know, celebrity, whatever. And this is the first, I, I think, the distraction by the Jawas taking a ship and forcing him to go against the Mudhorn to get mm-hmm. the egg mm-hmm. is like the big thing. And he doesn't, go, he doesn't go there with the intention of killing the Mudhorn. He just wants to get the egg. Right. And he wakes up the Mudhorn and there's the huge, huge attack. And basically he would have died, but it's in that, in that moment. And this is where the, it, it, it's different in season one, I think, compared to, I think at least at the beginning of the following season is that this little adventure side story that's breaking us away from the plot actually improves the plot. It actually reveals something incredible about the child that the child is force sensitive does actually have control over the force and is quite capable of using it when it basically paralyzes the the mud horn and raises it up and and basically saves mando's life you Um, make it sound so romantic i I, i'm going to go at this with a, a a bit more of a cold sinister removed view that 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 comes from my brain um, but some of this, I just see the index cards flying around and you've got, you know, the one set of index cards is cool things to see. And that's Jawas, sand people, uh, Imperial Walker. And you just scatter those all out across the table. And then the next color of index cards is, you know, things that need to happen in the story. Uh, okay. Uh, the child needs to prove his for sensitive abilities and you just throw that into one of the scenes with this and next and, and, and you know and then you know you just have all these elements of the old and elements of the new that you need to see and it's like mad libs and they almost could have happened in any order and they just kind of threw libs. it all together and they move the index cards around they're like no 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 yeah. no, 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 no 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 put the jawa carrier over here okay no put the imperial walker over here no no no, no. okay and and uh well yeah and this whole other set of cards was just like bars and alcohol because every every episode needs a bar so you do that one and i can i 100 percent agree with you i i I think if there is anything to gripe if there is anything to gripe about in in mandalorian it's exactly that it's it's like oh there's another easter egg oh look how convenient right this you know oh they did that oh yeah it there is a little bit of that. I I, de- I definitely agree with you. And, and, All right. and I agree with that 100%. I mean, again, when I, the, my first stretch where I watched the first six chapters, 
I, I had that very same reaction. I'm like, this is, is you know, positively shameless. But again, <laughs> when you give me an example, though, I I, I want to know. I, I, I'm not done. I'm not done. Uh, okay. Okay. But when when I think about the rise of Skywalker, the rise of Skywalker was nothing but one big you know fan service jerk off Easter egg after another. Uh, we talked about that for two hours, and and it was it was ultimately you know in in that vehicle it, it seemed all the more egregious. So in in. In the Mandalorian, those things happen, and I agree with you, Ken, that certainly in the first several episodes, it's it's really heavy-handed and it was striking. But the story is better that it mm-hmm. you know these Easter eggs are sort of spread around in, and I do th- I, I do think that in season two they get a better grip on that and they control that a little bit better. Um, they still do it. But I, I think it's it's more controlled, and it seems less arbitrary. Do I need to brace myself for Ewoks? Oh, I would not have been able to hold back if there were Ewoks. So I think okay. you're safe for that. I mean, the the only thing I, I laugh about when you say that, Joe, is when you say that like they have more control of it, and I would just submit episode or chapter nine is i think one of the most egregious uh violations of of that and i know we're not allowed to talk about that yet but so well let's talk about one of the early ones because this is interesting like okay what what is an example of an easter egg that you guys what what you guys are calling this that is sort of like stands out as being a potential problem i'm just curious jawas on any planet I thought, you know, I, I had the impression that Jawas were Tatooine specific, but apparently not. They're everywhere. They They're, do the same thing. They're just less dusty in other places. Yeah, ju- they just have a desert. It's like they all shipped out of one location, and you know, they're in charge of all the criminal activity on the desert planets. Okay. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, a lot of the Imperial um, sightings are. At least in the beginning, up until Chapter 7, they seem, you know, very spurious as well. That's but they're, they're, they're trying to get spurious. the child. Okay. Well, I guess it depends on which one you're talking about. But, I mean, they're there because they're trying to get the, the child and, and learn the secrets of... Well, the, I mean, we we uh, know what they're trying to do, but... I, I forgot one set of index cards, and, and that is the type of battle. <laughs> the, the I'm surrounded... <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or I'm going after something in a cave or I'm stuck in a cave or, you know, you have, you only have so many battle scenarios. So one of the really good things that we haven't really talked about, although we we've, we've talked around it and a little bit beforehand, the cast of, of actors that they have here. Oh, amazing. I mean, when you see John Carlo Esposito, you know, showing up, you're like, what? Are you kidding me? You know, Gustav Fring in Star Wars? Yes, please. Right. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> that's that's not a bad choice. We were talking about um <laughs> Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers, absolutely. You know, yeah. Apollo yeah, Creed. Nick. Oh, he's Healthy. great. Doesn't he steal the show? 
And uh, and and Jim- I think he does, Ken. I, I think he's like I think he's amazing in this. Yeah. Well, and he's and- got that Carl. He's got the Apollo Creed flair, though, doesn't he? I don't know what it is about Carl Weathers. Every uh, you know, he is like he's a little typecasted. You know, what is- Mando, come yeah. on in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think Carl Carl Weathers hasn't been in uh, too much stuff since the the Rocky stuff and um so yeah you, you you definitely see that but it's still good it's just like that the deep voice and he has weight as a character he really brings yeah. some energy to that sort of stereotypical character so so it's not stereotypical and he just he just he, he brings a real uh flavor to it yeah, yeah. He, he brings a different spin to the the slimy double crosser right 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 it's perfect because even in season one, there are times where you have to like him, and then times you're like, "Oh man, like I don't like him now." He's 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 against Mando. Yeah, and then and then you're gonna like him again later, and like Carl Weathers pulls that off, like nobody else, I think, because because even when you don't like him, you like him. Absolutely. We were talking about uh, Gina Carano, if, if that's how to say her name. Before we who plays uh, Cara Cara Dune. Cara Dune. Yep. I mean, uh, what an interesting character. I like the way they, you know, they introduced her. Um, she has a very interesting character arc. And I just, you know, she's she's just yeah. engaging in, in an indescribable way. You know, I, it's interesting that you bring her up after we were talking about good acting. Because I, I think she's probably the weakest actor of the bunch. But she's still pulls it off. And I, I really like how I have seen her in other things. She played a character in one of the um, fast and the furious movies. Um, she actually gained a lot of weight for this and she, but it's muscle. Like she just, she's, and she's when, massive. when you see her, you're just like, wow, I would not mess with this person. Like, <laughs> like it's just, she's this not like, a hot chick in like spandex who can do have all these like superpowers and like you know do all these flip kicks and everything. I mean, she's like when you see her, you're like, okay, I, I believe she's a badass. And um, it's I think you know kudos to her for putting on weight for the role because I think it, it really it, it it helps the character um, because. You know, uh, these are like major situations that these people are trying to get out of, and it uh, uh, it actually really really helps her her character. Uh, I, mean, I guess everyone's so in in Hollywood. I'm gonna backtrack just for a second. Um, I'm gonna digress. Everyone tries to look so good, um, especially uh, well, men and women. They sometimes they try to look so good they they forget that you have to be believable in yeah. in the role and. Yeah. She sort of has both things going on. She's still sexy, but like you know, I, I wouldn't want to tangle with her, um, at least not in you know certain situations. Um, but I, I will. Um, <laughs> I I I really I really like the character, but I, I some of the some of the acting is a little bit um, sketchy. Yeah, and and like I said, I, I, well, she doesn't have much to work with in the beginning. She's playing second fiddle, well, third, fourth fiddle, 
I mean, even when she's introduced, there, 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 there's another leading lady that she's immediately competing with. Sanctuary episode number four. There's there's a scene, I think it's in chapter eight. I believe it's in chapter eight where she Mando gets knocked down and she goes out and picks him up. And and to your believability, Tom, I mean, you're talking about a full grown person wearing full Beskar armor. And all I could think of was that dude's got to weigh a ton. And I mean, she doesn't make it look easy, but it is believable that she's able to, you know, sort of pick him up and drag him out of there. And and that was yeah. just one of those scenes where I'm like, man, yeah, that's badass right there. See, details like that are really nice. Um, and I, I think you really appreciate seeing those those things because, you know, we're, we're so used to seeing getting into the scene late and leaving early and the, all the quick cuts and the, the sort of, we, we very rarely see a scene like that, you know, where a, a woman is picking someone up like that. And, and I think it's, uh, again, it, it just goes back to just taking time to, to tell a story the right way. And I think it's done very well. Yeah, and, and it's not, uh, it's not a Mary Poppins in space moment, you know, just, no. just <laughs> saying. All right. Well, I've got the name of the, of the other woman. Uh, um, I believe we meet uh, Cara Dune in this episode in this chapter chapter it is not an episode and the widowed mother is omera played by julia jones oh she's so 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 julia jones takes the spotlight you know quickly away from gina carano and but then gina blossoms you know in episodes thereafter what's good because like uh, you know caradine's still sort of stays with the warrior like she still stays the warrior so i i know what you're talking about ken it she does do that but i i did like that episode because get more out of her later because she sort of did take the sidestep to that i wondered if that role was written for a dude and until you know because there, there was no romantic tension or anything like that it was just uh you know two bounty hunters sizing each other up and, and it could have been a male character rather than a female character. But then, you know, later on as the character progresses, I suppose she becomes more female. Tom, were you suggesting that her acting was subpar? I, I will say that of, of all the, the, the characters, there were times where I noticed that, um, you know, the, the acting was a little bit less than, than some of the others, but I, I do like the character, you know, in the same way, listen, I'll be honest, you know, going back to the original star Wars, you know, there's, there's some acting issues. Um, yeah. I'm not going to get into yeah. all the specifics, but there are some acting issues in that, but we still love it. Right. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. We're still like, okay, we're, we're, we're willing to overlook it because the other things are, are wonderful about it. And so this is the same thing. And I think, um, you know, I, I, there were little things I noticed because I nitpick about these things, but it didn't it didn't deter me from the yeah you know the the chapters that that she was in. Well, how now, about the child and uh, Khalil? The animatronics are amazing. So maybe where where this series lacks in dramatic acting, they're making up for it 
in all sorts of other areas. I mean, the, the, the characters, you know, aren't simply uh, humans with human expressions. There's so many other things going on here. I'm glad you brought up Queel because, uh, you know, it, it, and we were talking again before we got on air, you know, I was watching the credits and I'm like, Nick Nolte? Who the hell's Nick Nolte in this? And <laughs> boom, there you go. Nick Nolte is, is Queel. Okay, that makes sense. Perfect. What I like about him, that character, you know, it, it, and, and the character, when it's introduced, it's it's almost an Easter egg itself. Tom, you were talking about what's an example. Why would we need an Ugnaught here? You know, the Ugnaughts played a, a relatively minor role in, in Empire anyway. So to have one show up here seems, again, you know, perhaps a bit contrived. Oh, you know, we got lucky. The Ugnaught card popped up on the table. Excellent. You know, let's put one in here. <laughs> but what they're able to do with that character, and, and it's not it's not necessarily in with the first time you see Quill, but when they go back and get him for episode seven, he he and Kara have this scene where they're sort of, you know, bouncing preconceived notions off each other. And, and and Queel is challenging her to open her mind a little bit and and you know broaden her her perspective and how she views things and what people's motivations might be. Now, for me, this ultimately this is like and it's it's funny and I don't know if if this was planned out this way, but but again, when when the the Mando character starts asking or, or starts being challenged on some of his belief systems, or we see people with different interpretations of the Mandalorian belief system in in season two, this is almost like the the very first shot at the at the bulletproof window that makes like a small little nick here. And it's not even directed at Mando in that time. But it it's fascinating the way they were able to utilize this character that seemed, you know, to use our 25 cent word of the day, spurious at first to to really start something in motion that's going to gain momentum throughout you know the the next season i i just i find that to be mm. fascinating wow that's pretty that's that's like next level analysis joe that's pretty awesome <laughs> while i agree with you that it's it is sort of like the hey we got the ugnot card i i thought it was a just brilliant piece of character i mean and honestly like when i first met Quill, I, I, it didn't, it didn't connect with me right away that he was an Ugnaught. Um, it just, he was, he, it, he didn't look unfamiliar in the Star Wars universe, right? It made sense, but it was only like, I think after I ruminated on the first episode that, you know, and probably read a little bit about it that I was like, oh, holy shit, he's an Ugnaught. Like those little dudes who froze Han Solo. Right. <laughs> and, and um and like his little his little arc and and you know what he does to the story I th I think is pretty pretty cool like you said. Well, I'm going to re reinforce what I said earlier that, that the costume is amazing, the character is amazing, the animatronics are amazing. I'm actually I don't think before tonight I realized that it was animatronics. I actually thought it was there was somebody in like a costume. So well, now I mean, when I go back and watch it, I'll be looking for all the glitches. There's somebody in there but they're wearing a, a body packs like one of those that have electronics yeah and there's there's some kind of 
uh, robotronics in the in that in that large face mask, which is amazing. It's it, it's it's but 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 this is also how the child is done. The child is done by people sitting around with joysticks. Yeah, yeah. So. The child is interesting, um, and it, it, I. Obviously, we're going to talk a whole lot more about that next episode. But the 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 child as a as an animatronic being evolves throughout the show, much as you would sort of anticipate. Um, you know, you you start to interact more with him, and you know there there are some parts of it that. I think aren't particularly well done. And there are some parts that are really, really well done. And it, you know, but it was such a big deal when it came out. I mean, even before I had seen it, you know, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing about, you know, baby Yoda and this, that, and the other thing. It isn't he cute. I mean, a friend of mine, she, (laughs) she has this unusual skill of being really, really good at, at knitting things. I don't know if it's macrame or whatever, but she can literally just think of something and she can knit it. And she knitted for her daughter one of these these things. And it was phenomenal. Um, right. So it was it was everywhere. And, and when I saw it the first time, I'm like, really? That's what all the fuss is about? I mean, the damn thing's cute. <laughs> but, but when you see like sort of full body shots, uh, I mean, it looks like a head on a stick in a bag. That's that's all it looks like, you know. It's it's kind of weird, and even when he has his his force using moments, and he gets exhausted and kind of falls over, I mean, it, it looks, you know, it it it's not unlike R two D two falling over in in you know the original Star Wars. So it's not it's not overwhelming the way they do it, but I think to your point, Tom, I'm glad they did it. it with a lot of practical effects as opposed to fully CGI because I'm willing to forgive much more with that than, you know, if it had been bad CGI or, or overwhelming CGI. Right. Yeah. I mean, there was a, listen, there was a lot of backlash from episode one, two, and three and people really wanted to see things the way they were in four five and six even though they weren't as advanced and, you know, the, the, you know, even though the special effects, I guess, you know, suffered a bit, but they, it just, you, you really weren't able to relate to a lot of the characters because there was just like, everything was so glossy and sort of, you know, computer perfect. And I think that, um, you know, to the, the good, to the credit of the powers that be of, of the last three movies, you know, they, they decided to, to go back to what they had originally done in, in four, five, and six. And, uh, you know, I think it, I think it works, you know, it's, it's just, you're, you're, you're putting this, you're, you're putting that time and place a little bit better and you can relate to the characters a little bit more. I want to challenge the, 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 and, and this may this may be the moment that I come full circle in my my love of Star Wars. I I think I don't know if we were we were dur- during an episode or if we were just talking about it. But I maybe Joe, you and I were just talking the other day about it. 
I, I, I view the Star Wars movies almost like the stages of a relationship, right? Episodes four, five, and six are like the, ah, uh, like the, the rose-colored glasses on. You don't even see what's wrong with it. You just, you just freaking love it because it's just so imaginative and it brings, it's just so amazing. Right. One, two, and three, you were like, you, you, you didn't want to see what you saw. Right. So you were like, okay, uh, this is not what I want, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to go with it anyway, because I don't want to not like it. Like, cause I'm already in, right. I'm already in this relationship. There's a lot of good here, but I don't, I don't want to. So I'm just going to pretend that this isn't happening. Their birthday right? is coming up and then we've got the office Christmas party. And exactly. you know, it's just not convenient. It's not convenient. I'm just going to ignore all this shit and I'm just going to keep going and just like say that it's good. And then, and then you get to the, 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 the sequel trilogy and you are, you just love, you love it so much. You love the relationship so much that you are, you see everything that is wrong. You acknowledge it. You're like, yep, that sucks. But you just say, I'm just going to accept that for what it is. And I'm just going to focus on the good stuff, right? That's, that's there. I'm that's kind of, hell yeah. That's kind of how I, that's, that's kind of how I feel like when I'm watching any of those, any of those uh, shows. The reason I, I set that up as the backdrop, because I want to challenge a little bit of what you said, Tom, because for a very long time, we've talked about how, well, in the prequels, they, everything was CGI and all of the technology and all blah, 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 blah. But yet, I have to think, when I watch things like the Battlestar Galactica reboot, when I've seen things like some of the the reboot of Star War or Star Trek, they they have just as much CGI. Everything's on a you know in a green screen as the the prequels did, but those things are awesome. Like you don't hear anybody complaining about ah oh, the Star Trek reboot, all the CGI stuff. Ah, oh, you know. And you don't hear anybody complaining about that with the it's Star because you can't see it because all all the lens flares. My my point is this is like, you know, you look at Union. Union has all of the technology available. It is it is produced in a really by all rights it should have been just amazing. And the album is a disaster. And it, it but it doesn't really have anything to do with the mix the production, the sound quality. It doesn't have anything to do with the tools that were used. It's that it was just put together terribly and, and generally speaking, poor, poor performances. Well, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, Paul. Um, but I, I, I might bring up the fact that episode one, two, and three were released... It wasn't like it was in the Stone Ages, but it was definitely, uh, you know, what, like 10 years, before, a good 10, 12 years before some of the movies that you're talking about. And a lot changed from the, you know, certainly the time from episode one to, you know, the movies that you're talking about. Um, and in I modern, think you're saying that it came out during the height of marijuana consumption in the United States of America. 
No. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I think I think we're missing I think we're missing the connection here, Paul, because I think the connection that you want to make, and I love how we are able to come home and bring in progressive rock music. And I believe we talked about this in this episode. The prequel movies, episodes one, two, and three, are actually, from a technical perspective, more like talk, where you're on the cutting edge, early adoption of technology uh, to do things, right. and it's not quite right. That's that's, that's what a I great think. analogy, Joe. Yeah, that's that is. Wow. That is. Okay. And also, well, the I just, other I just like talk of, better than Union, that's all. Well, yeah, you know. <laughs> well just the, the other point I was going to make, and I, I love that analogy, Joe, that, um, that hits on the head um, with, with my um, first thing I was, I, was, I was talking about. But the second thing is episode one, two, and three, you have George Lucas, you know, who's just holding all the reins and is like, okay, this is how things are going to be. And, um, I did watch a little bit of the behind the scenes for the Mandalorian. It's, it's hard to sit through a lot, you know, a lot of the stuff, but um, you know, it, there are a lot of different people in this. You sort of John, yeah. John Favreau is sort of the um, architect of this, but he's smart enough to bring in the right people and, you know, the right directors for the episodes and all the, um, the art people and, uh, it, it's definitely a collaboration that it's a, it's a very successful collaboration. You know, one that, you know, we saw really in star Wars and empire strikes back, whereas episode one, two, and three was sort of like the, okay, there's the George Lucas dictator who's sort of has knows what he wants. And if anyone sort of says, well, that, that didn't really work too well. And you know, he's going to do it anyway. Um, and I think that um, so I think that mixed with the um, the talk analogy is is why we have some of that. And I want I don't want to talk about this here. I want to talk about this next week when we have sort of a, the the broader picture. But I think one of one of the big issues that I have with the sequel movies is that you know say what you want to about episodes one, two, and three. Oh, I will. At, at the very least, you had, you know, George was there and George had an idea of where he wanted to go. Episodes 7, 8, and 9 are like an episode of Whose Line Is It Anyway? It's an improv exercise. Oh, we're going to bring J.J. Abrams in and he's going to make a movie. And it's going to end here. And then we're going to bring in Ryan Johnson and he's going to pick up the movie from there. And he's going to go wherever the fuck he wants to go. And then, oh, well, we didn't really like that, so we're going to bring J.J. Abrams back, and he's going to, you know, pull it back full circle from where Ryan Johnson left off. And so you don't have any sort of cohesion of story in, in those three pictures that you do have in the other sets, and I do think that you do get, you know, ultimately, and, and again, when you're talking about doing a television series, you know, eight or 16 episodes you know, however many hours of, of viewing that turns out to, obviously, you know, you have to approach that a little bit differently, but they're John Favreau and, and the other guy whose name I always already forgot. They, Dave Filoni. Dave Filoni. They, they seem to have a coherent vision of where they want to go. And I think that's one of the things that, that really shows up here. Yeah. I mean, you have these little, 
these little sidetrack episodes and and some of the little things. And I think in in season two we'll talk about it more. But but the overall arc is is there. And that that the amazing thing about Filoni is, I mean, he he probably knows more about Star Wars than anybody. I think he probably does. And so, like you know, when we start seeing all of the different things that pop up in season two, and 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 I think we all know about the offshoot series that are coming. Like he's 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 almost like the mastermind behind you know all of these arcs and how it's yeah. all coming together. It's crazy. I, I want to get back to that very quickly, but I, I do want to go on record just to piss Tom off for a second. Generally speaking, yeah, and I think we talked about this when we when we ranked the uh, the movies. I generally, for the most part, really like episode three. And for my money, the the the, the battle between Obi-Wan and Anakin is freaking off the <laughs> charts wonderful. Well, actually, Joe, uh, episode three is fairly high up on my uh, ranking. Oh, okay, um, good. I, 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 have a, I mean, one and two are just complete disasters, but I, I, I do agree with you. Um, in episode three, and I think we, we talked about this a little bit in um, the the ranking episode. I I think it, uh, George Lucas did pull it together, and I think in some of the in some of the ways we were talking about um, the technology from episode one to three. You know, he really yeah. you know re- really changed what we have like six years or whatever between them. Um, in, in those six years. Or whatever it is, five or six years, whatever. Um, things they definitely got more savvy with the with with that technology. Um, and and I, I agree with you. I do. I really did like to see how Anakin did. You know, turn turn into Darth Vader. I think that was fairly well done. So I um, I don't have anything to argue with you with, with that. Oh, <laughs> Excellent. Sorry. No, no, that that that's good. I'm glad because, like I said, it just I, I, my my kids and I have watched episode three a ridiculous number of times, um, and and the immolation scene just always gets me. Um, and and ironically, Paul, you know, you talk about next level um, analysis. I hadn't ever, I don't think I'd ever made the connection to the 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 Jedi cremation and the immolation mm-hmm. of. Of Anakin Skywalker ceasing to oh. be a Jedi at that point, so wow. very very cool. There's there's one more point that I want to sort of bring up, and it, and it falls into, um, you know, the Easter egg category, as well as this extended Felony lore that we are living in, and that is at the end of Chapter Eight when Gideon cuts himself out of his Tie Fighter wreckage using the Dark Saber. Now, mm. the dark saber comes from. Um, apparently, it's it shows up in the Clone Wars, or at least that's where it's introduced, as as told me by my children. I tried to look into the the lore behind this on Wikipedia. The dark saber has a very very long and twisted history that I just, quite frankly, did not have the time to get into. Um, but but suffice it to say, for right now, and we can talk about this more. Um, Next episode, certainly, it is a, a an artifact from, from Mandalore. I don't think if you had kids who watched the Clone Wars or had not watched the Clone Wars, um, I don't know that the importance of that particular 
um, instrument or weapon would have been immediately obvious to people. So, you know, I, I don't know if that counts as a spoiler or not, but it, it is an important aspect of, of all of this. And it certainly, at this point in the story, gives you a little something to scratch your head about with, with regards to Gideon. But it does look cool, right? Because, you know, growing up the way we did, there's always been this fixation with lightsabers and lightsaber colors specifically. And, you know, you always want to have, you know, different variations on the theme. Because in the beginning, there was blue and red, and then they added in green. Eventually, Samuel L. Jackson was cool enough that he got purple because he's just that badass. And mm-hmm. when you talk about the stories, they introduced the gold color, even though the original Luke Skywalker action figure did come with a yellow lightsaber, inexplicably, um, at mm. that point. But I, re- I remember that. In fact, I think I still may have one of the yellow push-out that lightsabers. Was, that was the one where the lightsaber was, was actually in, in his arm. Yep. And he slipped up. <laughs> very, very cool. We, we, I think we need to put some pictures up on Instagram, Paul. I'll, I'll take some pictures. <laughs> Yeah, please, because, you know, my mom gave all my Star Wars toys away when I was in college. Oh, so. that's terrible. Um, <laughs> so, know. so you know, you, there were always these things. And, of course, obviously, at the end of Episode Nine, they bring the, the gold lightsaber to life. And isn't that cool? So, you know, there, there's this this color variation. It's, it's just... No, it's, you didn't. <laughs> what? That's a spoiler. <laughs> oh, 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 I did get that far. No, okay. no, no. Episode nine, the movie. Oh, 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 oh. When, okay. when, when Ray makes her own lightsaber, right. it's got a gold. Oh, ray. there we go. Okay. Right, right, right. Yeah. Episode nine, not chapter nine. Episode nine. Exactly. Not chapter. <laughs> this, this, is, this, this is why we're calling them chapters, right? To, and maybe we, we, uh, we stumbled upon something here. So yeah, it's just, call. It, it's, it's very cool, you know, to have this, this dark saber show up. And like I said, if if it weren't for my kids, I would have just been like, oh, isn't that cool? And I wouldn't have thought yeah. twice about it. That's how I was. Okay. And then I started watching YouTube and I was like, oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so so this is, you know, like I said, I, I, I really, really enjoy this. And it's, you know, I, I know we have complained because we're curmudgeon old middle-aged men. You know, oh, Disney is going to bastardize everything and it's just a big money grab and, and everything else. But if they keep making shows of this caliber, I, I will consume them happily from now until, you know, the day they put me in diapers. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, shit, this this uh, these two seasons are so good that I actually did start going back to, to watch the Clone Wars cartoons. Did you? And, and what's your experience yeah. like? I mean, is it? I mean, I've enjoyed them. I, I, I forget that I'm watching a cartoon. Like I, I just, I just get engrossed in the, in whatever story they're doing. And it, and I mean, it, like this is it, this, the cartoon is the perfect example of, what I was talking about. Like there is no plot. It's just, uh, something's in our way. We've got to take care of this. And the plot crawls around ever so slowly, which is what's frustrating about it because I want to get to all the juicy stuff that connects to the Mandalorian. And there's like seven seasons of, of, of episodes to yeah. watch. So, so it's, it's, it's slow going. And I haven't, I haven't watched in, in, in quite a while, but, um, 
but but I mean that's how good and how sort of inspiring and imaginative this this series is is because it's actually making me want more Star Wars, which I can't say that I've had that experience in many many years. I'm trying to throw some fuel on the fire to wrap up this season one. Is it possible for us to pick one from the bottom of the chapters? Of episode one? Would you guys be willing to do that? Would you be able to say the one episode that maybe got under your skin or had something a little weird, a little off? Yeah, I'll pick one. Chapter six, The Prisoner. Oh, I was going to say that. It's like... I, I I was fascinated. It, that's directed by uh, Rick Famuia, and I was just mm. just enthralled with it in the beginning. But I thought somewhere in the middle, they didn't, couldn't reel it in and, and, and keep it strong. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. It, it's it's sort of it, it's sort of off the trend line, right? It's like mm-hmm. why are we, you know, why are we doing this? And and you know, it, it, it it's sort of like a it, it it's an index card mashup in terms of film genres, right? Mm. It, it's constantly switching what exactly it is. Yeah, and there's yeah. a 1960s Star Trek feel to it. Yes, yes, yes. With with a touch of Alien thrown in for good measure. <laughs> it's the only it's <laughs> the only chapter in episode or season one that wasn't written by either John Favreau or Dave Filoni. Right. And, and that's to say they were all written by John Favreau, except The Gunslinger, which was written by Dave Filoni, and this one, which was written by Christopher Yost. So that, yeah, and when I talk about telling. the battle scenarios, th- this one is the Scooby-Doo battle scenario, where you split up, and you go that way, and I'll go this way, <laughs> and we'll bump into each other accidentally in the dark spots. So, yeah. And there was that twist at the end of that episode too. Like, you know, <laughs> Oh, it's this guy, you know, I think yeah. the mask off and it was like, ah, uh, just when they get all of a sudden, Oh, it's this guy. And, and like the, yeah. the, uh, the, or the uh, Republic shows up and blows the ship ship away. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They, they pulled the Scooby-Doo index card and exactly, B- B- Bill did. Burr was in it. And like, who yeah, that, Bill Burr? <laughs> that was an interesting, uh, interesting choice. <laughs> but, but even, even then, you know, much like when we talk about one from the bottom, with a, a couple of exceptions, um, you know, it's, it's not like it's, it's terrible. It's, it's still better than, you know, it is 90 yeah. Uh, fiance, yeah. for example, you know, it is, but you could kick that one out here. I, I want to share this funny story and I'm going to, I'm going to start, start it by saying that I have not had a drink of alcohol in 12 days. I'm just going to preempt it by saying that <laughs> when, oh, there we go. when episode, when, when season one of the Mandalorian came out, it came out, like we said, Disney Plus in, in November, and I didn't get Disney Plus right away. I waited until, like, Christmas Day. Like, Christmas Day, I was hanging out at my sister's house, and while I'm sitting around, like, do, just chit-chatting, I decided, you know what? I'm going to sign up for Disney Plus right now on my phone. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to watch it, uh, you know, starting tomorrow. So on the way home, I, I, I think I slept over at my sister's house, because we were having a, a bourbon tasting. So usually if I do that, we like, we like taste like six different bourbons. I usually just sleep over. Nice. So, so I slept over. So the day after Christmas, I wake up and I'm, I'm driving home and I'm like stopping at Wawa for, to get a sandwich. And nice. I, I talked, I'm talking to Mike Fuda on the phone and I t- tell him that I broke down 
and I, I got Disney Plus. And he's like, oh, dude. He was like, I just started watching that like two days ago. Huh. He's like, I've only watched episodes one and two. He, he, he's like, why don't you come over today and we'll rewatch one and two and we'll just, we'll just watch as many as we can. <laughs> and so nice. I was like, all right, sounds great. So the day after Christmas, <laughs> I go over there and he had been gifted a very delicious and expensive bottle of Angel's Envy rye whiskey, rye, rye whiskey. And so we decided to make Manhattans and watch the Mandalorian while drinking Manhattans. So we got to episode or, or chapter six, chapter five, chapter six, but it was definitely chapter six. And we already had, we had two Manhattans and just a, a couple of snacks. And I was just going on this Wawa sandwich. So <laughs> we basically, we basically like pass out on the couch while, you know, while we're watching it in his basement and like, you know, it's one of those weird things where you don't even realize it happened. Right. You just kind of like, we, we were just kind of like, we were like, oh, dude, I think I missed some of that, that episode. Okay, let's just keep going. <laughs> so so we, we just kept going. And so we watched all, we watched all seven episodes. And then like, I watched the last chapter the next day or something. And so several months later, I decided to rewatch the Mandalorian and I'm, I'm watching and I get to the prisoner and I literally have no recollection of the entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Paul, I'm getting a flashback to when you, me, and Dan tried to, to hang out in your family room and watch all three, four, five, and six <laughs> together. And we, we just we fell asleep a half hour into the first one. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we started that pretty late. <laughs> Thomas, one from the bottom for you, or are you in agreement with the prisoner? I'd have to rewatch. I, I really don't have one on hand, but um, I'd have to rewatch the prisoner, and maybe I'll get back to you. But uh, the, to answer your question, there wasn't one episode that that stuck out that I can remember that I really had a problem with. But um, I think I, I do intend to watch the whole season again, so maybe I'll have a different uh, outlook on that. Cool. All right, so we can, uh, you know, again, we'll talk um, next episode, next Star Wars episode about season two, chapters nine through sixteen. I guess it is. Yeah, so we can we can then sort of deal with this holistically. And, and again, there are going to be some some twists and turns, and you know, I think you know some of the fan service is is still going to be very much in evidence, but it'll be fun and we can talk about it, unpack it all and sort of consider the, uh, the series as a whole, as always, gentlemen, it's a pleasure nice. to talk progressive rock music or star Wars or whatever else we talk about. And when we can combine star Wars and progressive rock music, dude, that's a, that's a win-win. That's a star five right. star episode right there. So kudos to you, Paul. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so next time when we convene, we will uh, we will talk about Mandalorian season two. So, gentlemen, thank you. Hope 
hope you've enjoyed this special Star Wars edition of Progressive Palaver. As always, we enjoy sharing the conversation with you. And if you'd like to geek out and share your thoughts on The Mandalorian or any Star Wars um, thoughts that you may have, you can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We are at Progpala on all of those or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or presumably wherever you find your podcast. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. Boom.